Hello, I'm Tim Bidermius, and this is NPR's Book of the Day. We're in the full swing of another presidential election cycle, and once again, immigration is a major issue among voters. And all that attention usually comes with charged language about border crossings, deportations, and what criminality looks like. Legal scholar Cesar Guatemoc Garcia Hernandez is trying to change that by encouraging Americans to think differently about how we treat immigrants who've committed crimes. It's the subject of his new book, Welcome the Wretched, in defense of the criminal alien. In it, he argues for American criminal law to be decoupled from immigration law, that just because an immigrant commits a crime doesn't mean that we should automatically deport. Hernandez spoke about the book with Here and Now host Deepa Fernandez. This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Acorn TV isn't just good, it's brilliant. With exceptional television from around the world. Their romances are more charming, their mysteries cozier, their noirs more gripping, and their comedies cleverer. More clever? Oh, you get it. Acorn TV is brilliant stories told brilliantly. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. So, in a nutshell, Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. 96% of users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Save time with one click and go from editing drafts in hours to seconds. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions to help your team make their point and move faster. Make a bigger impact at work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Congress continues to debate legislation that would limit immigration across the southern border. Now, a new book envisions a very different change to immigration law. In Welcome the Wretched, immigration lawyer and Ohio State University professor Cesar Juatemoc Garcia Hernandez argues that immigration policy should be separate from the criminal justice system, that criminal offences should not automatically lead to deportation and crossing the border without permission should not in itself be considered a crime. As he writes, those policies run contrary to the history of immigration in the country. The book Welcome the Wretched is out today, and joining me now is author Cesar Cuatemoc Garcia Hernandez. Cesar, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. What you're writing about in your book is really a history of how we came to this place where the criminal justice system and the immigration law system intermingle so much. You write that contrary to the refrain that Democrats and Republicans can't agree on immigration policies, that in fact both parties, and I'm quoting you here, have wielded the criminal legal system as a weapon against immigrants. Tell me more. Whether it's Republicans like Donald Trump or Democrats like Barack Obama or Joe Biden, we see time and again whoever occupies the White House embrace this idea that a run-in with the criminal legal system is one run-in too many and a, and a useful marker of undesirability, of unfitness for life in the United States, when in reality, of course, there is crime all around us and nothing to do with citizenship and everything to do with the fact that people mess up. As somebody who has spent most of his adult life 
working in college campuses, I'm well aware of the fact that there is crime happening in college dorm rooms on a daily basis. And it's not always low-level offenses. Sometimes it's violence. Sometimes it's sexual assaults and um, hard use of drugs. And the reality is there's very few instances in which the police are barging into dorm rooms and breaking down doors to arrest criminal undergraduates. And that's all because of the fact that the activity is happening in protected privileged spaces. It's no less criminal, uh, but some people are being arrested and prosecuted and convicted. And if you're not a U.S. citizen, potentially deported for it. And, you know, I think it's especially in today's climate, it's a hard argument to make that if a non-citizen commits a crime, that they shouldn't be deported. But what I appreciate about how you're making this is you're giving us some history You trace many of the early ways the legal system was used to criminalize immigrants and keep certain people out. You know, some of them I feel like we know, like the Chinese Exclusion Act, but there are many others. And you point out so many immigrants would break these laws, but race was a determining factor in who would be punished. I wonder if you can briefly tell us the story of James J. Davis, who immigrated as an eight-year-old boy and would go on to be the secretary of labor. He comes to the United States impoverished, uh, comes with his mom, his dad's already here, he's coming with his younger siblings, and then he goes on to attain a good amount of political power later in, in life, and he turns back and he says, look, the world is divided into what he says, the rat people and the beaver people, and the beaver people are those, those migrants from northern and western Europe, like him and his family, those rat people are those southern and eastern Europeans, those Asians who are trying, hoping to come to the United States. And, and, and he, he does what's familiar. We turn around and, and see that, that the folks who are coming after us are worse than us. They're different from us. And that's a phenomenon that happens all over U.S. history. Yeah, there is a, a law that you point out that in 1865, a law criminalizing poor immigrants that would have applied to his family, but no one chased them down for it. Yeah, there were state laws at the time. His father ends up in, in Ohio, and Ohio actually had a law that said, look, if you were coming here and you were too poor to sustain yourself, we could essentially deport you. We could force you to go back to whatever state you came from. And his father is out of work. Um, he went to Ohio because that's where his brother lived, and the family comes, and they don't have any money, and, and yet no one enforced that law. Um, and mm. had James come just a few months later, there would have been a federal law applied that would have kept away people just like his mother and him and his siblings, and yet he, he insists that his family are those beavers that make America great. You also devote space to a South Carolinian politician, Coleman Livingston Bleese. He was a white supremacist whose impact on immigration laws and criminalization is still felt deeply today, as he was the man behind making entry without papers a federal crime punishable with prison time. Tell us about Bleese and what you call legislating racism in the 1920s. This was a man who embraced lynching, who embraced attacks on on migrants for wherever they were coming from. And when he gets to the, the United States Senate, he joins forces with other members of Congress who are also um, opposed to migrants from Southern and Eastern Europe and Asia and 
Mexico, because at that point, Congress had not been able to muster the political resources necessary to push through a law that would limit Mexican migration. And so Cole Bleese hmm. um, ends up being the person who, who introduces and pushes forward the law that eventually, in 1929, is the first time that we actually criminalize coming to the United States without the government's permission. And that law is still on the books almost a century later. And and how would you answer to people, Cesar, who say, but you shouldn't be able to come to the U.S. without papers. There should be some kind of punishment or there should be a law that stops that. I'd say why? Why should there be? Because for most of the early part of the history of the United States, there were no laws that did so. And when Congress started to enact those laws, people left and right started to violate those laws, whether it's folks who, who are um, uh, like James Davis, who entering Ohio and making a life there in violation of, uh, or simply because no one bothered to enforce a state law, whether it's folk like, like my wife's grandmother, who, whose family came from Italy in the early part of the 20th century, and who did so almost certainly in violation of immigration laws that existed then. And you know what? I'm glad that they did, because that's the reason why I met my wife here in the Mm. United States. And that's the story that resonates throughout families in every corner of this country. And one of the things that you point out is that, you know, punishment or immigration law actually being applied is quite unfair. You use Justin Bieber and uh, 21 Savage, two big-time famous musicians, to tell a story about racism and immigration justice. Justin Bieber is somebody who's well-known for driving quickly, fast through through cities for, for engaging in all kinds of well-publicized run-ins with the law, less so now as he's matured. 21 Savage was picked up by Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents, detained and put into deportation proceedings. Both of them are citizens of other countries, Justin Bieber, Canada, uh, 21 Savage, the UK. But one of them, Justin Bieber, is white, and one of them, 21 Savage, is not. And yet, we don't see ICE going after Justin Bieber under his the blaring sounds and neon lights of his, his performances. They know exactly where to find them, just like they knew exactly where to find 21 Savage. They did go after 21 Savage. Unfortunately, he was able to find a great lawyer who was able to get him out of prison and actually win that deportation case not too long ago. And we should point out that 21 Savage doesn't have a criminal conviction on his record. But it's not just Justin Bieber. Tell us what the data shows about Canadians, because I found it very interesting that Canadian citizens are likely bigger breakers of one immigration rule than most any other nationalities, and that is visa overstay. You can violate immigration law in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways that politicians like to focus on is the folks who come into the United States without the government's permission. But another way of violating immigration law is coming here with the government's permission for a short period of time. Maybe that's vacation. Maybe that's a study. But then you're supposed to leave. And we see that every single year, the government's own statistics tell us that tens of thousands of Canadians do not leave when they are supposed to leave. And that means they are violating immigration law. But we don't see immigration officials going out and arresting and detaining and trying to deport 
Canadians. Instead, we see all those immigration law enforcement resources focused on the southern border, trying mm -hmm. to keep out the Latin Americans and the Africans and the folks from the Caribbean who are trying to come to the United States, sometimes also in violation of immigration law, but violation of immigration law that has exactly the same consequences as the way that the Canadians do it. So, Cesar, you end with a call for us to reimagine citizenship. Tell me what a new kind of relationship with immigrants looks like to you, especially in this time when immigrants are the least likely to receive empathy as the tough on immigrant policies ratchet up. For most of the history of the United States, we had the criminal law system that dealt with people who might have committed a crime. And then separately, we had immigration rules. And those two very rarely met. That was true up until just the last few decades. And so what I'm asking members of Congress, for all of the, the folks who, who are engaged with, with politics and law in the United States, is to you know, think about whether we can, again, divorce those two so that we can just allow folks to be the imperfect human beings that they are because the reality is we all mess up. We all have our worst moments. And right now, immigration law ties migrants to their worst moments, but they're more than those moments. They're also parents and workers and community leaders. And that has nothing to do with their citizenship and everything to do with their humanity. Cesar Huatemoc Garcia Hernandez's book is Welcome the Wretched in Defense of the Criminal Alien. Cesar, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, Kiba. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot on It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework.